this is right before we went captain, co-captain. But again, we developed that trust in our department. And we're flying along, coming in. And um, they had kind of kept us up really, really high. And so basically at the time, um, so for the pilot people, they'll kind of understand this. We're coming into an uncontrolled field. We have the ability to cancel our IFR flight plan. And by doing that, the guy will let us go ahead and descend and land at the airport under as long as we can stay uh, clear of every, you know, the clouds, obstructions, and other planes. So we're coming in. We did that. And about through 10,000 feet, I just happened to glance up and I just seen this streak coming. I grabbed the wheel. I wasn't flying. I grabbed the wheel and banked hard left. The captain just released. And he, and we went left, leveled back out, and he said, how close were we? And I said, I could see the pilots in the other plane. We got that close. But it's because we had the trust of if that guy sees something that you don't, you just let him have it. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. But had he, had he tried to force it and hold the wheel, it could have got really close. Wow. So I, I just think – the more you can trust people, put people in positions, captain, co-captain, that, hey, we're kind of, like you said, on that equal footing, equal ground, that we respect each other, respect each other's words, thought, uh, action. It's just going to be a safer environment overall. everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How are you? Hoo-hoo! So here we are. We're zooming, zooming, zooming. Everything's changing. The leaves are falling. The wind is a little cooler. It's bracing in the morning. I like the word bracing just because it means it's kind of chilly. You need a jacket for stuff. I don't know how it is where you are, but uh, the seasons are changing, which means that we're successfully navigating around the sun one more time, which is good. I mean, considering the alternative would be to stop, and that would be bad. So today is a great day for a podcast for many reasons. Oh, many, many reasons. But part of it has to do with the fact that I've noticed something happening. And, you know, I complain a lot about travel and airports and all that kind of, you know, I'm probably a little too fixated on it. It's kind of stupid. Uh, and I try not to be. But I, I've noticed this phenomena recently. And I'm going to talk about it. But it's, it's this idea that all of a sudden, instead of having a captain and a first officer, twice this has happened to me. They've introduced themselves from the front of the plane as captain and co-captain. And I'm kind of interested in that for a bunch of reasons. One is... Clearly, it has to do with efficiency. So clearly, we've talked about employment right now, and we've talked about the fact that all of us, if we're doing business in the world, it's changed. And people no longer see careers. They see jobs. Now, that was kind of a wide statement. I'm not sure that's 100% true of 100% of the people. But there is a change in how people are identifying with the workplace. And it's it's an issue. There's And you see it. I mean, you see it. You see it in turnover. You really see it in recruitment. You're really seeing it in people actually making it through the induction, through the initial training and then staying on board. They're, they're, they're leaving to go deliver food for Uber or whatever it is they're going to do. Well, that's also a gigantic problem 
in aviation. And you know this. If you follow the news anywhere, there's a huge need for pilots, but there's not a huge um, jug of pilots waiting to be needed. Uh, and so they're, they're having to do all sorts of creative and interesting things to actually deal with this employment. And so my guess is the co-captain thing has to do with efficiency, scheduling, and how people work, and can you reduce – these are all questions that I have, and we're, we're actually going to talk about them today. But I'm also super interested from a crew resource management side, from a psychological safety side. And there's a lot of, I mean, just a lot of questions. And to have this happen twice is kind of, on commercial planes, is kind of interesting to me. The first time, I don't even know if it registered. Well, it did register for sure. But I don't think I thought about it very deeply just because I didn't know how to think about it very deeply because I didn't really understand what it meant. The second time it happened, I, I, I noticed it much more profoundly. And so it left me with some questions. So I went to my resources and I have lots of great resources. So that part was easy. And I started asking around and nobody gave me a better answer than Chris Davenport. Yeah, and you're, so you're going to get to meet him today. I don't know if you, if you know, you may not know him. It's his, it's his first time on the pod for sure. And he's a, a commercial pilot. He's a pilot. I mean, that's what he does for a living. And when I asked him this question, he told a story and I said, stop, do not continue this story without the gratitude and ability to record it. Cause this would be a great podcast. And that is the origin story of today's podcast. It, it's, it's fresh off the presses. It's brand, the ink is still wet. That's how fresh it is. But I want you guys to notice if you travel around is, are you seeing this same idea? Cause it's really interesting to me that we're looking at the potential for, um, I, I guess the quick way to say this is, is a change in how we're doing what we do and, and what that means to us. Cause that's a pretty important part of uh, this discussion as well. So that is the pod and you'll get to hear every second of that conversation. Cause it's such a great conversation to have. How are you? Is life good? Are you also suffering under employment strains and finding people and, scheduling snafus and all the things that sort of fit into this category of the world's changed a lot because it has changed uh, and change even for the better is often uncomfortable. It's we're just, we've asked you to put up with a lot in the last three or four years. And you know what? You've been there for us. You've stepped up to the plate and done what you needed to do to make it happen. And that means so much. So that's a good part of it as well. As for me, you know what? Just trying to keep things together and moving forward. Got a new little uh, secret project going. I'll tell you more about that as we progress. But uh, this one's by request. And so it's Project X Part 2. And I'll have more details on that as uh, we move through. But what I ought to do now is probably actually create an opportunity for you to listen to this discussion. So... Without much more fanfare, and I have more fanfare, please welcome Chris Davenport, my friend Chris, and be a part of this conversation because Chris and I are going to talk about this very phenomenon and how we get there and what we talk about. 
Well, that's a big part of the journey that you're going to get to go on as well. So sit back and relax and and let's meet Chris Davenport. All right. Uh, well, Chris Davenport, uh, fly for uh, a corporate group and uh, have just hit 24 years of aviation Holy cow. Uh, with this same company. So very fortunate. That's not something that most people do uh, is to stay with a company that long. Uh, and, and what's different for me in my career path is this is only the second job that I've ever had. So a lot of people kind of bounce around to a couple of mid-tier jobs before they kind of hit that one. But I was very fortunate uh, that I got the job. Uh, of course, a lot of things had changed in 24 years to make it a really great place to stay. Um, but, uh, yeah, been here 24 years, be 25 in March. So really look forward to that. And the amazing thing is you're 30 years old. So you started when you were five. Yes. On the baby pilot and, program. Yeah. And so the first plane I ever flew, you actually had to take your feet and move them back and forth. <laughs> and to take off, you really had to go fast. So, um, but yes, that's the first plane that I flew in. <laughs> and, that's a, and if I remember my plane names, that was a Flintstone 1000. Yeah, yeah, that was a great plane. That was a great plane. Yeah. Was, well, so the yeah. the reason Don't make I, them anymore. <laughs> that's right. They quit. Me. The reason I wanted to talk to you is so twice in recent days, like the last couple months or something, I've gone on a commercial flight to go someplace, and when they do the little pilot briefing, you know, welcome, thanks. You have many choices. Thanks for choosing us. You know that that part of the the flight twice. Instead of introducing the captain and first officer, they've introduced co-captains. And the first time, Chris, I was with uh, my friend Ivan, and we were flying to wow. give give some kind of speech uh, at some safety meeting. And I actually told Ivan, how do you feel about that? And he said, it's great. And I said, it seems um, unusual to me. I've never heard it done before. And he said, I think it's a great idea. And so then I talked to you about it because, you know, uh, you do this for a living. And you also said the same thing. Now, I will tell you from an outsider looking in, I, I don't know what to think about it because it feels like you want a clear chain of command and you want somebody to be in charge. But both, mm-hmm. both people I've talked to recently about this, and I actually added a third one from the Navy who was completely with you guys. He said, no, it's a great thing. First of all, why are they doing co-captains, and what does that mean? Well, I'm not really sure. That's the first I've heard of the airline uh, doing this. So I will just tell you when I first started, uh, it was a typical uh, captain, first officer type position. And um, uh, about year three, uh, about year four or five into it, they started seeing uh, a lot of difficulty in crewing aircraft. Yeah. So in other words, when you had people trying to be on standby or, oh, we need to do these trips. Well, we've got plenty of first officers, but we don't have captains. Or we have plenty of captains, but if we use captain and a captain, then we don't have a captain and a, and a, and a first officer on standby in case we get a pop-up trip. So it, it really hindered us on our ability uh, to remain flexible with the company if they needed us on something that would pop up last minute or emergency flight or whatever. So they started looking at the captain and co-captain type scenario 
And, of course, we were told that can never happen. And just what you said, clear chain of command, which we can kind of talk about that more in a little bit. Yeah, we should because it's really interesting to me. Yes. So, uh, we, in fact, our previous conversation, we were starting to get there, but we kind of switched gears. But, um, no, with the captain, co-captain, now I will say this, a lot of the old-timers, if you will, had a hard time adjusting to that. Uh, for just different reasons, because in the industry years ago, that was just kind of how it was, right? Right, absolutely. But for, for younger for younger people, uh, we didn't look at it anything differently, like, oh, I'm a captain, I can't ever fly underneath you or anything like that, because, uh, and again, in our company, we've done a lot of safety stand-downs where we have seen a lot of accidents happen uh, from, um, how should I say it, not really cooperating in the airplane, communication breaking down or people scared to speak up right. against the captain. But we have never really dealt with that. And it's always been a shared responsibility because both of us, uh, we're trying to accomplish the same goal. We're trying to get our people where they need to go safely and quickly as possible. And again, I say safely. And we both take that very seriously. So we have a, uh, both of us have a lot invested in that. So we feel that as captain, co-captain, we feel free to speak up at any point in time. In fact, we have rules built into our, our SOPs that state that if even if the person flying is the PIC, if he is putting us in a, in a situation and doesn't recognize it, we, we have the authority after a couple of calls to take control of the airplane. And I'm sure other planes do that, you know, companies do that as well. But I've just seen... For one, flexibility from a scheduling and um, standpoint for our company, it's been great. But two, just from, I think, an overall safety standpoint, it's been really, really good. And we've proven that if you look at our safety record over the past 24 years. Yeah, oh, no doubt. So let's let's unwrap that a little bit because I think there's a couple things that at least interest me. So one is sure. the idea of a sterile cockpit and crew resource management and psychological safety, so anyone can speak up at any time. Uh, a, a first officer can speak up to a captain. You know that you can speak truth to power. That's been something you guys, as an industry, have been working with for years. That that's amazing, yes. and that is working pretty well. It seems yeah, like. In fact, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, it seems like the co-captain thing actually aligns the the cockpit up so that there's better communication. So now, all this, man, you changed my mind in like two seconds. Um, now it seems like the co-captain thing is a good idea, not a bad idea. Well, and I think a lot you, you just said it, a lot of it is communication. Uh, the three accidents that I was kind of thinking of that we did studies on was the Tenor Reef. Right. Um, that, that's such one, a big one. Yeah, huge, and that was a huge uh, uh, captain um, does not take any orders from anybody. You can't tell me anything, um, you know, that type of attitude, which is not good. Right. Um, the American Airlines, when you go back and look at that crash that happened in Little Rock, there were some things that were going up there where the FO was trying to speak up and kind of got pressed down a little bit, if you will, about, hey, we shouldn't be going into that. Hey, we shouldn't, you know, and. And that type of thing. And then the other one, of course, the one you and I talked about in San Francisco, the uh, is it Asiana flight or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, Asiana. Yeah, definitely a uh, a culture there where you never, ever question the co or the captain. And we've just found that in a captain, coach captain situation, we just don't 
feel that way at all. We it just it just opens up communication, and as you know, in any type of industry, the more communication you have and feel free to speak to each other, right? The less likely you are to have an accident. Well, absolutely. I mean, because the secret weapon is truth, and it needs to it needs to be an environment in which you can disagree. I mean, that's so. When people talk about psychological safety, especially like in crew resource management. What scares me, and it kind of freaks me out, Chris, is that people are like, well, you know, I try to create a warm atmosphere. I have an open-door policy in my office. Well, that that's all great. You should do that. Give hugs away and have candy in your desk. That's all. I love all that. But that's not really crew resource management. Crew resource management is is how easy is it to disagree. And and the, the co-captain idea is is a great equalizer. Are, are you going to miss it? I mean, are there, are there unintended consequences that this creates that will create a problem? Well, you know, you're talking about clear ch- chain of command. I, I'm just trying to think, what is it that situation that you're going to be in that someone has to make the final call? So that's such, a good, I, I, that's such a good point you're bringing up because it's easy so, to look at the outside in and say, well, you know, there's going to be a – and there's certainly going to be a circumstance where you have to have that final judgment. But I, what I hear you saying is that's a good question. I mean, that that's really interesting. So so where I'm leading with that is this, and, and you and I kind of talked about this in a previous conversation. If you're in a situation and, – and I'm sure there might be some I just can't think of it, but we could probably talk through that. Is there a situation where someone just says, hey, we're going to go, and I don't care what you say uh, because we're going anyway because I'm the captain? I, I just don't see that. And there's so many dangers in that anyway. And I'll just give you a kind of an example. If you have a first officer and you have a captain that treats that person that way, and there's a situation where there's weather or whatever, and they just feel super uncomfortable, like this is not a good idea. And you're the captain, and by gosh, we're going to go anyway. What's going to happen? And I've, I've kind of had this situation before, not because I did anything wrong, but because I took a person in a situation they were unfamiliar with, and it was just a low approach. Everything was completely legal, but they just were – they had not had the experience. So here's where this is going. If you go into that situation and they didn't want to go, and you get down there, and all of a sudden things start going wrong, guess what? you just became a single pilot because they're sitting over there. They didn't want to do it anyway. They had reservations. And then when you have a true emergency, they're already have kind of checked out in a way. And you say, Oh no, that doesn't really happen. Oh yes, it does. So they didn't want to go there to begin with. And they're not thinking clearly. Their emotions are high. Wisdom's low. And they're just not able to function. So now you're a single pilot. Is that where you want to be in a situation like that? And now you're a single pilot, and I can tell you the answer to that is no. Yeah, absolutely no. So when you sit there and say, is there a situation where someone has to make that call, again, uh, leading back to that other conversation where I was leading, there are three things I think that are important that have to be all in uh, unison before you do take it off, landing, or shoot approach. That's the pilot, the co-pilot, and the airplane. <laughs> and if any of those three are out of sync, are not ready, you don't go. If you're on takeoff and, the, and somebody says, man, I just don't know about that, you don't go. Yeah. If the plane's not ready to go, you're not going to say, well, the flaps aren't the flaps aren't set at one, but we're just going to go anyway. You're not going to do that. you got to put the flaps where they're supposed to be if you want to have a successful takeoff. Yeah. And so 
the landing approach, it's all the same. If all three are not ready to go, you don't go. So uh, I guess that kind of that circles back to that. What type of situation are you going to get to? There has to be some kind of chain of command. I don't see that in, in today. There's too many rules that are already out there that both people are, hey, if this happens with an unruly passenger, we're going to do this. It's not like someone says, well, you know what I mean? You're going to agree on that. So anyway, that, that's kind of my thoughts on that. But I actually think that's excellent. I mean, that, so two really important things just happened. One is is so there's a tendency to look at these kind of problems, at least in the safety world, and immediately worst case scenario. But then what happens is is then your structure and your system is set up for the worst case scenario, which, by the way, hardly ever happens because it's the worst case scenario. So what you really need to solve for is normal ops, normal operations. And that was yeah. – and it was beautiful the way you covered that. It was amazing actually. But then you said something that I think is profound at every level and that is three things have to agree before we take an action. The pilot, the pilot, and the plane. And if one of those disagree, yeah. you, you, don't, you don't start the action. And so that, that ability to start when you have and, – and you actually call it when you're in unison, which I think is actually a really good way to see that. That by definition means you have to, you have to provide an environment where not only is it okay to agree because it's always easy to agree – but it's okay to disagree. How have you done that as a, as a, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound any, I, I don't want, I mean nothing by this, but you're mm-hmm. now one of the old gray haired men. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you've been in the business 24 years. How yeah. have you created an environment where it's okay for a junior person, uh, uh, a first officer or a co-captain to tell you the truth? What do you do to create that environment? Well, I think it's, you know, one, we do have a, a good set of SOPs. Um, mm-hmm. And even though there's people that I haven't flown with, there's a lot of expectation of what we're going to do. So, I, you know, when I think a company has good SOPs, uh, you know, call out standard procedures, uh, you know, I can fly with a guy or or, or, or gal, um, hadn't flown with them two years, but we know what to expect from each other because this is kind of how we do that. I think it all starts, too, from just the actual, again, we're open in the flight deck. We talk about things. I mean, I'm not saying there's discussions that we have that we disagree on. But, you know, you bring that back. Well, let's talk about things we do agree upon. And just focus on stuff like that when we're, you know, not the busy time. Uh, But you just, again, I think, too, in your culture, you also have to have the buy-in of what you're there for. You know, I'm there to get my people where they're supposed to go, and I'm and I'm you know, I'm a successful part of what that company does at the end of the day. Right. And we, we try to hire those people that also buy into that. And I will tell you, there's some good people, but if they don't buy into that, they generally don't last here very long because they're looking for something different in their work job. And that's okay. Uh, because there's a place, there's different types of flying for everybody. But, uh, I think that's, that's some of the things that we, I think all have in common, uh, is that common goal. Um, and so by having that common goal, we're all on the same page. We all want to do the same things and that's fly safely. And, and that really is a fundamental ethical responsibility. I mean, you take that as serious as anything in the world. Yes. And that's Something else we kind of do. I tell people, you know, when we fly like higher executives, you know, how is that? How's that? And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, are you ever scared? I'm like, no, because I fly 
when the plane's empty. I fly when it's the person that is just a, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, a lower level uh, associate, or whether it's the CEO or a board member. I fly the same. Because when you do it the same way for one, you do it the same way for other. It's when you get out of that sink uh, and do and push the envelope, if you will, which we do not, that's when you're going to get yourself in trouble. Yeah. So we just always do it the same way every time, no matter what. And that, that, that's, that, I think that's also really important. The, you're, the wisdom that you guys have that you develop, where'd that come from? Did, is that just years of experience? I think it is years of experience. I think it's years of looking at how many accidents happen due to egos in the airplane, uh, other things, you know, that have happened in not just corporate aviation, but commercial aviation that we just learned. Uh, there's just, there's really no place for that. Uh, it, it's not to say that people don't have bad days and we all do, right? Uh, but at some part, you got to kind of try to talk through things and leave that at the door because, uh, you just can't. You just can't bring an ego into the cockpit. It's going to get somebody hurt or in trouble. Period. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Do you see this co-captain thing as the future? Do you see this happening? Well, I think the people that try it and 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 you know get you know keep. I think it's getting more open because younger people coming up don't have a, as big a deal. Now I can't tell you why uh, some of the other fractionals, uh, the union types, jobs uh, airlines aren't doing it I, I don't know the reasoning behind it uh, i think it makes sense from what you and i just talked from uh from a flexibility standpoint um but i, I think it should go there uh just for one for there's two purposes right it, it makes a company more efficient right and i think it, it, it's just a safer environment overall and i think if you can combine the two uh you've got a, a really good place to be well, I think you're exactly right. I mean, if it's if it's more efficient and safer, I I can't imagine a scenario where this doesn't become normal. But you're right. I think it's going to be hard because some organizations, some companies probably have a long, really strong history of a clear mm-hmm. chain of command and it's probably made a huge difference in how they get paid. And yeah, and so those changes are going to be tough because, in theory, I mean, you'd have to answer this. I don't know, but wouldn't it cost the air? It's more efficient, but it probably costs more to have two captains. Well, it might cost more to have two captains, but you don't from a uh, so let's just say if we continue to operate like we did, we would have to maybe add 30 to 40 people as a head count. Wow. To have enough FOs and to have enough, if you split it, you know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're only going so we'd probably have to add 30 or 40 headcounts. So now I don't, I don't know what that math is, but you could probably look at some of those organizations and I'm not saying, cause there's plenty of flying jobs out there, but they say they might be able to go back and go, Hey, there's a thousand less pilots that we really need here. But those thousand pilots, trust me, we'll go get another job. There's so many other places for hiring. Yeah. Um, but it, it just creates more flexibility. And, and here's the thing, too. Like I said, I've done this. I've been here 24 years. There's a guy that comes in, and he's been here six years, and he's the PIT for the day. That does not bother me because I still get paid the same at the end of the day. Again, I do not care. Um, it, it, it's okay. And you're on equal footing. I mean, if there's a problem, you can yes. you can step up and, and, and talk about it. So that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. What? This is, thank you for this conversation because it, it just helps me because it's clearly reflective of the change that's happening in lots of industries. I mean, mm-hmm. I have I have a ton more questions. Like, how does new guy? How's how do the new guys get qualified to become co-captain? Because there's still going to be a period of time where a new guy is probably not ready to be a co-captain. Wouldn't you agree? Like, you know, first year of the job. Yeah, well, it's it, so, so all industries are different, right? So for us, we have a system where they would come in in the first year or so as a first officer. Second year, they kind of upgrade a little bit to, to kind of the co-captain thing. And, and, and most of it, it's, it's not that they don't have the experience level. We're just trying to teach them our company's way of doing right. the paperwork and doing the other stuff and making sure, making sure there's not the quirks there because, you know, sometimes things look good on paper. But when it comes to the actual abilities, like, wow, you know, uh, that skill level is just not where it should be if that person's standing they have five and 6,000 hours. And that just happened. Um, so we're, we're just taking our time before we put them in that position. Yeah. And hopefully by year three, that has weeded itself out yeah. and either you're going to be there or you're not. That's just, that's just, so, good. that's good business. I mean, that's just, that's sure. just managing personnel. Wow. This sure. was completely helpful. Thank you for this conversation. Yeah. That was really yeah, fun. It was great. So what'd you think? I told you. Did I not tell you this is going to be interesting? It's super interesting. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So, so what Chris talked about, he, I, I don't even know if he knew it because I don't know if he's read much Eric Hallnagel, but he talked about the classic efficiency theorem and his trade-off. And, you know, in this case, it's not a trade-off. I mean, that's pretty interesting that you gain efficiency and you gain thoroughness at the same time. If there were a reason to think about doing this, that would be the reason to do it. Now, does it have second-order effects? It's going to have effects on the HR side. It's going to have effects on the seniority side. Well, you know, that's that's a good question. I don't think it would affect seniority, but would affect power somehow, which is a big player. I don't know. It's it's something to think about. I hope you found this as interesting as I did. Chris, thanks for taking the time, buddy. And you guys, thanks for listening. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.